A year has 365 days. If you wanted to try out all the mobile apps for health on the market, you would have to download more than 700 every day. That's how inflated the supply of apps became, according to research to guidance. It makes one thing very clear: there's a lot of useless things out there. Dear listeners, this is Medicine Today on Digital Health. Today we will talk about how US hospitals are tackling digital transformation in healthcare. Many saw the opportunity in this technological revolution by establishing incubators and accelerators inside institutions. This way, their doctors get a support environment for innovation. Not only did hospitals get new reliable solutions for their patients, they also generated a new revenue stream. Smart. In 2012, Cleveland Clinic experts designed the Medical Innovation Playbook, a detailed report on the diverse and rapidly evolving technology commercialization programs of the US top medical centers. This was four years ago, and the list is big. It includes an overview of nearly 10,000 invention disclosures, 6,400 patent applications, and almost 2,000 issued patents. The person that knows a lot about this is our today's guest, Ashish Atreya. He is a doctor, a gastroenterologist, and the director of Sinai App Lab, a sort of incubator accelerator inside Ikan School of Medicine at the Mount Sinai Health System. Mount Sinai Health System is located in New York and includes more than 7,000 primary and specialty care physicians. This is only a bit less than the number of all the Slovenian doctors. For those who are listening this podcast for the first time, I might warn you that Slovenia might get mentioned a few more times in the future because this is where this podcast comes from. Medicine Today on Digital Health is produced by a Slovenian branch of medical journals and newspapers for doctors and pharmacists, Medicine Today, which are published in Norway, Sweden, Poland, Estonia, Finland, Denmark and Slovenia. But back to our today's topic. I talked to Ashish Atreya, who brought the idea for innovation department to the hospital a few years ago. They are developing apps based on their patient needs, and not only that, they do clinical trials and have even created a system so that the doctors can prescribe the apps. Enjoy the conversation. I'm your host, healthcare journalist Tiasha Zaitz. Ashish, for starters, according to your title, you are, apart from a gastroenterologist, also the Chief Technology Engagement and Innovation Officer. What does that really mean? What falls under your responsibilities, especially of the engagement part? Uh, thank you, Chaza. Um, I was one of the few ones who got a chance to choose the title. What I truly believe is uh, innovation is only half full. If we don't utilize innovation in the right manner to change patient outcomes, then the promise of innovation remains empty and unfulfilled. So I have dual facing role. Uh, one is uh, internally I lead the innovation team called App Lab at Mount Sinai. Um, and App Lab has a team of UX UI designers, uh, app programmers, data scientists, uh, integration layer people, clinical trialists, all under one roof. And we develop internal technology to see what really uh, sticks with the patients, what leads to improvement in outcomes, and do evaluation and trials. 
My other part is to onboard new technologies coming from startups and other places outside Sanai uh, and to work with my uh, colleagues in IT to see which of those makes sense. Uh, because not all innovation we can develop internally. We also need to very carefully scan what's out, uh, outside and then bring it to our ecosystem. And for any technology that we prove is valuable, uh, I try to make sure that that becomes within the health system. Every patient gets that technology. One of the challenges when it comes to apps is how can you guarantee their safety and efficacy? That's why I find your approach so interesting. You do clinical trials, evaluations, and technology assessments, right? That is correct. And that's one of the ways we want to differentiate ourselves because there's so much innovation happening everywhere, but we don't know which one really has the right kind of evidence that we can trust to give it to our patients. I will never give a medicine if that has not been approved in some formal capacity. Why should I prescribe an app to a patient if that has not gone through some formal validation process? So I think it's one of the responsibilities for us in academic centers to build evidence for what is working, what is not working. And that's why a lot of our effort has been focused on running pragmatic trials, clinical trials, proving the value of those digital medicine tools. In autumn last year, you also launched a platform for prescribing the apps. Can you tell us a bit more about that? We're the first health system in the country and actually in the world which has given this platform to its physicians to prescribe evidence-based apps. So we curate the best apps uh, based on uh, the evidence they have built in, the security and the safety and other aspects. Uh, and then the platform allows physicians to prescribe the apps to the right patient at the right time, so we can hopefully achieve right outcomes. Prior to Mount Sinai, you worked at Cleveland Clinic for 12 years. Cleveland has an amazing ecosystem for building innovation. How did that help you with establishing Sinai App Lab? Cleveland Clinic was my foundation, not only clinically, but also from informatics and innovation. I had my first patent pending from Cleveland Clinic we licensed out technology for virtual paging system way back in 2006, 2007, before all the secure messaging apps became mainstream. Uh, so there's a lot of innovation there which, uh, and, and the processes there which I learned from, and that uh, definitely influenced me uh, when I got opportunity at Sanai to establish a full uh, in-house innovation team. What is your current relationship with Cleveland Clinic and other institutions? Are you competitors or is there any collaboration going on? Even though we are in touch, I think there can never be enough conversations that are enough. We would probably need to be in much more collaboration. In fact, we just launched a consortium of 12 health systems called as Network of Digital Evidence. So all the academic medical centers and health systems who truly believe um, in um, evidence-based uh, growth for digital medicine and innovation are now joining hands to say we're going to streamline and structure our processes around innovation. We probably need to have many other organizations join us, not only in U.S., but also globally. So we don't duplicate each other's efforts and waste precious resources, but rather build on each other's efforts uh, to get the right technology in the hands of our patients faster. So how widespread uh, and how available are your apps to patients worldwide? 
One of the bigger frustrations from a patient perspective, in my view, is knowing what exists out there, but when you try to download uh, an app on your phone, you might not be able to do because you're, for example, from Spain and the solution is only available in the UK or US App Store which is kind of absurd in the era of digitization where we always say how everything is supposed to be available no matter where in the world you are. That is a, a, a very um, a wise insight. Uh, I have found this challenge as well. Um, in fact, through Responsive Health, this is a spin-off from Mount Sinai, which is taking Prescription Universe platform. Uh, we are entering into collaborations with the uh, some startups and early stage companies in India um, and also in Australia to actually bring these apps outside US. So few of our apps are actually now in 15 countries. So the goal is that we publish the apps across other countries and there are language challenges and other logistics challenges. But I think for many of these apps, if you find the right partner in different countries, we want to share the goodness. And uh, there's a business model around that as well. That makes total sense, since based on the latest research, as I mentioned in the beginning, there are 260,000 apps, which is 100,000 more than last year. This is a massive amount of supply, and users are in desperate need for regulation to know what is safe or good uh, or just useful or not. What does your evaluation process look like? There's a whole team uh, of people who are working on curating the best apps, looking at the evidence that's published, then bringing out to the marketplace, because I think someone has to do this heavy lifting. But I, but I do think this kind of efforts need to be global efforts, because uh, every country in the world can benefit from digital technology. Um, and uh, and we, we have to make much more collaborative efforts uh, to not uh, have it just restricted to one country or the other. That's also what a lot of startups are hoping for, expansions on other markets. But before we dive into that topic, could you tell me more about the app you helped design? You are a gastroenterologist and you helped with an app for patients with IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, a chronic autoimmune disease. So Health Promise uh, is our uh, flagship app, which is a remote monitoring platform and also captures patient symptoms uh, around the disease and brings it back to the physicians. So it's both patient-facing and provider-facing app. And this came from the need which I felt uh, when I was looking at my patients, I was seeing them twice a year or three times a year. For many times they had complications with IBD, which is a chronic disease and people have very disabling symptoms. Many times I was seeing my patients too late. And at that time they needed surgery, I couldn't avoid it. So there's a lot of frustration that how do we keep our fingers on the pulse on how these patients are doing every given week. And you're trying to figure that out with an app. How does the clinical trial look like? The trial is ongoing right now, but we had our first year results, which have been very promising, that we have been able to show that we can improve the quality of care that is being delivered to the patients by as much as 28% as compared to 8% improvement in a control app. So it's a very powerful uh, positive study that's interim results that are shaping. We've also shown that we can improve the quality of life of the patients and find that fatigue and tension are the main drivers of patients' poor quality of life. 
we now have a consortium to expand health promise actually it's also getting expanded to canada and a few centers uh, outside us as well and that's a good kind of a uh, i would say example of how we can prove something that works and if something is working then we build the engine to expand it so it reaches the maximum uh, number of patients and benefit you mentioned that the idea came from the fact that your patients came to you too late. Could you explain a bit more about that? So if patients uh, don't get in time when their disease is acting up, then many times it can lead to a complication like an abscess, which many times lead to surgery and sometimes can be life-threatening as well. And if we find those things earlier, we can change the treatment much more better. We can avoid unnecessary hospitalization and we can many times avoid surgery and complications like abscesses as well. And are patients compliant using the app? That's one of the bigger challenges for developers. And I'm glad you mentioned that, but we realized this it's not just easy to just give an app and say, hey, use this app and patients start using that regularly. We have to use other strategies to motivate the people. So we give frequent reminders coming from the physician office. And I think one of the core aspects which has led to higher engagement uh, is that uh, the app provides the data back to the physician office and physicians can send messages that great job or, you know, you're suddenly having symptoms, let's change this. So patients feel they are not just working in vacuum. They're part of an ecosystem and their physician office uh, care team is actually actively looking at the data. Uh, so I think that close communication loop is very, very important. Without that, the efforts dies off. Two questions there. How much time does it take you as a doctor to look at all the data sent from your patients? And do you get paid for it? Do you have an agreement in place with any of the insurance companies? Very relevant questions. Uh, when we got the feedback from our physicians in the Delphi panel, uh, we found that we need a remote monitoring or a population health coordinator who can scan all the data coming from the patients. And then they can filter what is noise Based on that, they can only point physicians to relevant action items. And that doesn't take much time. The population coordinator for our trial uh, just takes for one hour uh, first uh, in the morning to go through all the things and find things which are red flagged. Coming to the payers, we are actually looking for uh, fruitful collaborations with payers, especially as the evidence has now started to come up that it's making a big difference. How do you manage to follow everything that's out there? How much overview of all the solutions do you have? It's always a catch-up game, isn't it? So I hear from my colleagues, my peers, uh, from my consortium uh, leadership group, and then from the newsletters and general news. After a while, it becomes a second nature to stay on top of this, uh, but it does take time. And that's why I think it's so brilliant for hospitals to develop apps themselves. They have all the expertise and it's easier for them to spread the use among physicians if they know they were built by, the, by their colleagues. Uh, I think each innovation, uh, each hospital ultimately very soon will have a, a chief uh, innovation officer or something of that nature. Uh, they can fast track innovation and hopefully kind of uh, build their capacity to uh, innovate and also uh, transform their care. How do you encourage innovation in your hospital? Innovation usually happens at the intersection of knowledge, which means that sometimes it's useful to put together people from completely different fields. So what's your approach? Uh, so I think uh, it does require a time, but a culture change. And it can also sometimes start with medical school because medical students have been exposed to different kind of technology. So when they come, 
they really want to disrupt things. So I think it's finding that grassroots uh, people, doctors who want to be part of the change and want to lead the change, and then creating success stories from them. And then you share the success story across the organization and the leadership really supports that process. So that actually creates a whole uh, environment where doctors who are not even at the cutting edge start feeling that, oh my God, there's something great happening and this is a wonderful success story. Uh, they start having ideas on how to change as well. Uh, and it becomes mainstream. So many hospitals have started doing this innovation offices, uh, which actually their job is to support innovation and adoption. And I see that trend continuing for some time now. This is also a good strategy for generating new revenue. Can you share any numbers uh, from your app lab? So we had six apps created. Uh, three of them have been licensed out. There, we have 15 plus projects going on in different capacity. So the goal is as we get other kind of uh, second generation of our apps and other technologies, another uh, body in our organization uh, called Innovation uh, Partners actually takes care of all the licensing agreements and all those things. It's like a tech transfer office. So I can't share all the details per se, um, but uh, the success stories have started to be created and the spin-off effort have started successfully. So I think um, uh, if you have to ask me one or two years down the line, I can probably ask about revenue generated as well. Is there an app that's dear to you more than the others? The app which I often cite is WellDoc. This is the first app that got FDA approval, and it's for diabetes remote monitoring. And I think uh, that really is a big trendsetter for many, many other apps that have come to stage afterwards. There's a lot of positive expectation about the effect of mHealth apps on the broader public. What do you think are realistic expectations around improving public health? I'm very optimistic. There's a real opportunity here. We've already started seeing difference in telemedicine uh, and how that has uh, increased access to care. Uh, it's tough to see a change over one or two years, but over five to ten years, we're going to see a major, major change globally. I mean, if you look at the statistics about the use of smartphones, it's clear that it's rising rapidly. 3.4 billion people are supposed to own a smartphone by this year. And I remember when Apple launched the research kit and care kit a few years ago, there was a lot of uh, excitement because now you had a software framework for apps that let medical researchers gather robust and meaningful data from a larger population. Do you have any experiences with research kit or care kit? So we have uh, uh, apps in research kit and Mount Sinai also have uh, an uh, uh, app uh, through Asthma app, which was built on research kit. Um, I think uh, Apple is progressing much more faster. They're actually working on integration with um, uh, electronic health records, which I think remains uh, 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 a holy grail on how we can uh, get digital medicine aligned with electronic health record. And they recently um, uh, bought a company as well. Uh, uh, so, uh, so I'm I, I'm pretty sure uh, you know that is something that is gonna come up uh, early in 2017 um, and gonna shake up the ecosystem again. What are the current results of research kit use? Is there anything known already? Yeah. So there was a recently published study in JAMA, uh, uh, which talked about how the health app the heart health app 
uh, and how it performed and how it led to data generated. Uh, and also talked about challenges and decrease in adoption or decrease in engagement over time. Uh, but the data has started to come up and published. So it's, it's, uh, it's uh, getting there now, faster. What about all the dilemmas around this kind of data gathering? There's the issue of reliability of data that's gathered. And of course, when it comes to apps and technologies connected to the apps, the question is, how comparable are they to the professional equipment, even with the existing point-of-care uh, diagnostic solutions, you can hear sometimes that they are not as good as the lab equipment. What's your opinion around this skepticism? It's a perception change that is happening. Uh, it's slowly and steadily becoming more pervasive. People are realizing not all is crap, not all is good. Uh, there is some good stuff that is hidden and we have to find that good stuff and make it mainstream. Uh, so I think it's good to have healthy skepticism, including me. I have that skepticism and say not all apps are good. But we have to find the good apps and the way they interact in the workflow and create meaningful interactions and outcomes change and promote them. Um, so I think from my side, the question is not if this is good or not. The question is how to find what is good and make it mainstream. So you travel a lot. Do you have a feeling it's easier to innovate in one part of the world than in the others? There's definitely a difference in access to capital in different countries. Uh, but there is no, I'm, I'm finding every country has entrepreneurs and has people who are go-getters, whether it's China, India, Germany, you know, UK, Australia, you know, uh, US or what have you. So I think, uh, and people who are go-getters get the capital somehow to make it happen. Uh, though if there is a ready source of capital and already proven VCs like in the West Coast, in US, it becomes relatively, I should never say easy, but uh, relatively less burdensome to raise capital and support you and grow. Uh, but entrepreneurs are everywhere, Israel to India to China to Germany, and, and they are growing everywhere. I guess if you have a good idea and believe in your solution, you can try to make it happen um, wherever you are. However, the environment can be either helpful or discouraging. For example, um, in the US, failing is perceived as part of the process, whereas in Europe, it's perceived more as something that determines your faith. In the U.S., the American dream is to be whatever you want to be, and it's not surprising to see people at 40 having worked in plenty different industries. But in Europe, we take education choices and deciding on your career as one of the most important life decisions, as something that can only be decided once. So that's what I was uh, thinking about when I asked about the environment influence on innovation. And even if you looked at Sinai App Labs or other clinics, it's a different thing if you're a doctor there or if you're a doctor in a smaller hospital without all the support mechanisms for innovation. So there is definitely difference, um, but uh, it's not that you can keep on failing and you still everyone keeps on supporting you. And one or two times failure doesn't count, but as far as if you have three times, four times failure... Uh, it will be really tough to for a VC to actually give money to someone. 
sometimes it seems everything is about the where you are. I'm not sure that is true. I think there are many factors which are under the control of an entrepreneur, and there's some factors which are not under control of entrepreneur. Uh, while environment plays a role, the major role is the the team and the entrepreneur itself. Ashish, thank you for your time and all the answers. We will keep an eye on your further developments and results from the clinical apps. So good luck with that. Thank you so much, Asa. Dear listeners, thank you for listening Medicine Today on Digital Health. This was our fourth episode. Medicine Today on Digital Health is produced by Medicine Today, a medical monthly journal for doctors and pharmacists around novelties in healthcare and medicine. If you liked what you've heard, do subscribe in iTunes, SoundCloud, and please write a review in iTunes. It will really help us make the podcast visible to a wider audience. Thanks. And of course, stay tuned. Plenty interesting topics coming up soon.